Hello and welcome to Mental Minis, a Paprika in the Pet mini-series. We're your hosts, Grace Seidel. And I am Chloe Hope. We are currently in our first year of our MRC 1 here at the Yale School of Architecture. As we begin 2021, still more physically separate and virtually connected than ever before, the Mental Minis seek to explore and unpack our expanding understanding of the impact of mental health on the individual and our communities. The theme of this episode is activation. Beginning our first year of graduate school here at Yale during the largest global pandemic of the 21st century, Being fully present in our academic lives has not always been easy. We have found our attention pulled to defending democracy and fighting for our civil liberties. Considering the health and justice of our family and communities has also become a full-time job. Fortunately, during the first weeks here at school, a group of inspiring YSOA students and alums had adapted the second annual Yale Mental Health Symposium to be a fully virtual and accessible event for people across the world. We are so happy to be joined today by five members of the 2020 organizing team, and we are so profoundly moved to be reminded why our study of architecture here and now is an opportunity to create change. I'm Kate Altman, and I graduated in 2019. I'm working in an architecture office here in London and my office focuses on building affordable and social housing and how to integrate that with sustainable technologies. So I guess my interest has always really been the intersection of housing and how through housing you can increase access to mental health services. So throughout my post-professional masters at the architecture school in Yale, that was the research that led me into the symposium. I'm Marianne Rioubon. And I was an MR2 at Yale. I graduated in 2019. And coming to Yale, I was aware that my undergrad education was less comprehensive when it comes to issues regarding the social and political nature of our work as architects. So when I met Kate and learned about her research about mental health, I thought that it was a good starting point to integrate other values in my architectural thinking. My name's Gus. I just graduated from Yale Architecture and Yale Forestry, which is now your School of the Environment. Yeah, I got involved with what was then the colloquium in spring of 2019, when um, Kate and Mariana were kind of shopping it around to various interested parties. My name is Araceli Lopez, and I'm an MR1 in my third year. I'm surprised I haven't seen you, Grace, and Chloe around. (laughs) And I was recruited by Mariana and Kate in the summer of 2019. And I've just been learning a lot since then. Hey, my name is Jen. Um, I graduated in 2020 um, from the MRC2 program and did the dual degree program at the forestry school as well. I was in the same post-pro class as Mariana and Kate. And I was approached by Kate to join the team. Gosh, I don't even remember, like, 20. 18, 2019, who knows? (laughs) Yeah, and I think some of my interest in uh, and my background in finding and exploring how architecture can heal, both at the individual scale, but then also at the scale of the city, is really what kind of drew me to this work and got me involved to begin with. Very cool. 
Chloe, do you want to take it away with your first question then? Hello. First of all, I want to say thank you for joining our podcast. It's nice to have you here. The first question we're thinking about is how does the mental health group evolve from the 2019 colloquium to the 2020 symposium? As far as we know, the colloquium was originally held in the School of Management. And seeing some of you are also in the first group, we're kind of curious to know what made you to held a second event on issues of mental health in School for Architecture. And what's your experience of housing it at a School for Architecture? So over the course of my first year of study in the MRT, I was always looking for students that had similar kinds of interests and I was really fortunate to meet some really brilliant students at the School of Management and they had this very specific interest in mental health and broader interdisciplinary conversations and so really the first symposium way way back in at the School of Management it was almost like a testbed case to see you know who's out there within this institution and outside who is interested in talking to people outside of their own discipline on this subject and what can be gained from having that very broad conversation. So the first, I would say, um, and we're really just identifying topics and trying to understand a language in which we could all speak to each other. In hosting that conversation, we actually found that there were so many students and so many faculty from all over the university who were really excited by these kinds of conversations. And we started to realize that by focusing in on particular crossovers, you could have some really exciting collaborations. And so since that first symposium, there have been really interesting things that have been happening across the university people from different professional schools have struck up collaborations and written grants together. So it was a really kind of exciting first test case. I was a, I was an audience member in that original colloquium. And one of the interesting strains of conversation that came out of that short two day event was that mental health was really something that affected and touched every discipline and that every discipline could really contribute into our understanding of mental health and how to improve mental health outcomes in all of these different various fields. But one of the things that came out of that event was that we didn't necessarily have the language to be able to bridge across these many different fields and these many different ways of creating knowledge or understanding the world. And so it became clear that there needed to be another event, that this initiative couldn't just stop at that event and that it really needed to be something that was not specific to a school, but really was moving around and um, consistently this center of gravity for many different fields to be able to come together and create new knowledge and, and bridge the language gap and kind of create new language around issues of mental health. I'm quite curious about how did you invent that new language within the structure of the symposium? We as architects have a specific way of communicating and understand how, you know, the urban fabric or how um, social cohesion can be enhanced by, for instance, the design of a street. But we have like a different understanding of, of that and mental health as opposed to someone who's maybe a neuroscientist who can understand more chemical nuances of what makes mental health, mental health, et cetera. And so 
I think, but, but we traditionally don't really talk to each other or have, tr- have trouble talking to each other because the way that we've decided that knowledge can be codified isn't necessarily the same. And so like just getting all of those people in, in a room and then having them present information that they know and then providing opportunities to be able to talk about it through like, you know, for instance, like the workshop that we held or through moderated discussion was our way of creating a space to start to invent that new language and to start to get people who don't normally sit in the same room to actually know that they can have a conversation with one another and that it can create some pretty meaningful outcomes. For me, that was one of the most exciting parts of the symposium. So a good example is that one of our panels was called The Home and we had three incredible speakers and not one of them was an architect. To me, that's so exciting because as architects, we spend so much time thinking about housing design and adjacencies and room layouts and window sizes and actually to come at this subject which we have already kind of very well versed in but have it presented back to us by experts who don't necessarily deal with buildings was something that was really exciting and I think that was a good example of a panel where talking to other disciplines led to some really amazing discoveries and I think that that any, any platform where we can encourage those kinds of conversations are, can be really meaningful. I think Jessica Helfand had a really good, had a kind of really good summary of that conversation, which was kind of how design has to get out of its own way to ask bigger questions. And actually removing architecture from a conversation which is implicitly about architecture is really fascinating. I wanted to say something on, on what Jen and Kate were addressing. I think a specific discipline can contribute to the mental health conversation beyond the way that the architectural practice is run in that we organize it into these kind of three scales, the home, the hospital, and the city. But that's also about kind of access and jurisdiction and who actually might be acting at the scales might not necessarily be an architect, but it has implications for architecture and for the built environment. And it kind of allowed for us to see these other perspectives on something that architects might typically see as like our realm. For instance, there was someone on the city panel named Molly Kaufman. I think this was Molly. Might have been Nippur. You guys are going to have to remind me. One of them was like... Nippur, I think it's Nippur. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, She said, um, I may have a PhD in urban planning or something, but I don't have a PhD in this specific city. And so I think it started to kind of ask this question of how are we bringing in, in the city panel especially, you know, how are we bringing in the people affected by the built environment? How are we deciding who gets to speak about this and who, whose jurisdiction this is? Yeah, I, Dr. Mindy, she has this emphasis on storytelling. And it was also a team that touched other speakers like Kaleshi, that they really tried to promote the voice of patients or specific residents of specific communities and that's something that I thought was really important and that the conversations really underlined the need of echoing different voices. I think that you guys are completely right that was a theme that was so strong throughout the conference was the speakers that came they were all so skilled at what they do because they spend so much time talking to the constituents and the people in their communities that they're either trying to serve or working with. And a great example was Samberis, who came up with this amazing system called Housing First, 
And I think Jessica asked him, you know, like, how did you come up with these principles? Like, this is clearly so successful and has such brilliant outcomes for people. And he just said like, oh, well, you know, I, I wasn't talking to policymakers. We just really asked people what they wanted and then we gave it to them and it's had amazing results. That's something I think architects can learn from a lot is we often do kind of ask residents what they might want, but then creating systems to put that into practice can be really hard. And these speakers have worked throughout their careers at delivering access to services that people are missing. So I think that's something everyone has a lot to learn from. Yeah, and I also wanted to say that these discussions didn't stay in the academic realm because I think universities sometimes tend to be, you know, isolate themselves from the real world. So I think one of our objectives was to engage people that work closely with communities and academics as well, obviously, but so that these conversations would make sense for as many people as possible. Yeah, and that kind of informed the, the whole structure of the symposium and how we used material. I want to tag Araceli <laughs> into this because something I think that we really quickly recognized was really important was creating a social media strategy that was as wide reaching as possible. No, yeah, I think using the social media was like a good especially since the summer, I think we saw an advantage to it to kind of spread more of like an awareness of what's going on and then of the symposium itself. And I think we used it as a good opportunity to kind of reach out to the students a lot more. And it was really fun, I think, to get messages from students and see them asking like, how can I be involved in the Young Mental Health Symposium? How can I become a member or an organizer? And it was more students, I think, than just like Yale School of Architecture students. It was students from other schools. I think we know now that the, the interest is there. For me, one of the most important meetings as a team happened in May 2019, where we had a full day where we structured the topics that we wanted to address. And, you know, many names came. Each of us had people that we would like to see involved. And I think that's how we started to contact people. I think the other component of social media that's important to talk about is the fact that the timing of this all happened in the middle of a global pandemic and in the rise of this important movement for racial justice that has been going on but has seen accelerated momentum since the killing of George Floyd. And I think just given that context, the social media campaign became that much more important and also that much more accessible. We were able to, I believe, just because of the word of mouth that social media allows, receive registrants from all over the world. And I think we had 680 individual attendees. And I think that that would, well, that definitely would not have been possible in Hastings Hall. And it just like simply wouldn't have been possible to have so many people from all over the world attend. And so so that was something that came directly out of the social media campaign, but also just the amount of conversations that we were able to be participants in through platforms like Design as Protest or other important platforms that we were able to sort of like repost their stuff and they were able to repost some of our stuff. It really took on a life of its own that I think is very much in the spirit of this entire symposium, which is like to get as much knowledge and information to as many people as possible. I'm kind of glad you brought up the actual state of the world at the moment, because when <laughs> the 
the symposium came up at the beginning of the semester, it felt increasingly relevant to everything going on and listening to all of the conversations, it really, I thought it was planned in the first like weeks of school, just in response to like life, honestly. But I, I would love to hear from you guys about how the events of basically the last year have made the work that you've done feel relevant to contemporary culture and even in your personal lives and professional lives, how you feel you're implementing the goals and sentiments of things brought up in the symposium. I think before before the pandemic, when we were discussing themes, specific themes in relation to me- mental health and architecture, what was really exciting was we we all kind of implicitly know that where we live, our built environment influences our mental health. And kind of sadly, when the pandemic hit, that was no longer ambiguous. Everyone was at home. Everyone could see how much their bedroom, their apartment was influencing how they feel because they simply had to be there all the time. And so in a way that really subtly changed the framing of the conversation because there was no longer that question always being asked like oh why are you talking about mental health and architecture like where is the relationship everyone suddenly was on the same page we all we all had lived through this very unusual experience which really brought that home i think we always were intending to talk about race but you know the recent events you know were just so shocking and i think brian lee in the city panel said it best racism is a public health crisis and so if we are organizing a symposium about mental health we need to talk about racism so we had a conversation as a group when we understood that our symposium was virtual and we had to revise a little bit of uh, some of the materials we we as a group we understood that this is really important to us and there was no way around that i was like very excited about all the people you bringing to the symposium and i'm wondering like do you first start finding those people that sort of relevant to the conversation and begin to structure the symposium from home to the city or you like first start with this very broad structure and find people that have worked in their fields for a long time and to have them like join the conversation and because all of these are sort of happening during the pandemic has a list of speakers changed um, during the process yeah we also asked people in their ideal world who would they like to talk with so that was that also expanded our list for sure and uh, made us engage with the work of so many more people this was a process, I think. We actually spent a really long time interrogating the three panels that we eventually ended up with, which was the city, the hospital, and the home. And I don't know how many different versions of that structure we had, but I remember there were maybe six or seven variations on those themes written on this big board. And I think once we had that really clear and we were really happy with that structure, from that point, kind of adjusted the, the people that we were thinking of and then really went out and tried to understand who exactly 
is working very closely in that field. And we, we work with our speakers to, to find those people and we worked with collaborators and faculty. So we really kind of spent a long time finding exactly the right people. And then that group, once they were set for the first date, I think they all stayed with us into the virtual symposium, which we were really pleased about. Um, and they were all very excited and quite committed to going online. And we had many conversations about exactly the right format, the right time. So we really worked very closely with them to, to move everything onto Zoom. Did we, especially with um, the new format for the symposium, we spent a lot of time making sure that we would give people the right opportunity to kind of share their experience and to speak on what what they knew and also that the that they would get enough time to to kind of show their solo work but also to bounce off each other with the hospital panel it also happened that the official event was over and then the speakers just you know run to another zoom meeting and just continue the conversation and that's when we learned that Gaz is a really good moderator not the case not the case (laughs) one really just like piggybacking off of that completely had a similar experience with the the panel that I was running which was the home panel so in some of the panels all of the speakers already knew each other and had this shorthand that was like really fun that we got to witness and they were all pals Um, and then in other panels like the one that I was organizing there the speakers didn't know each other ahead of time and so the process of getting everyone kind of like on this cold zoom meeting together and then having a series of other Zoom meetings where we were workshopping through questions and really bearing witness to these new connections blossom. Um, and then now after the, the symposium is over, still having like emails pop in here and there or uh, directly after the event, like everyone popped in on another Zoom meeting and like had a glass of wine together. Those types of moments were really meaningful because the symposium or one of the purposes of the symposium was to get people in the same room who didn't necessarily like know each other or know each know of each other's work Um, and we were we really wanted to facilitate that as much as possible and so it was super meaningful to be able to create those connections and create those meaningful and hopefully lasting relationships um, that I'm sure will be you know continuing to be a part of well into the future Um, that was something that was really um, unexpected and really touching to be a part of. I love the focus you guys have on like interdisciplinary speaking and informing a kind of insular community of architecture by all of these other disciplines. So I kind of wonder as this symposium goes into the future, how this group of people, since most of you are graduated, will potentially like evolve. And if you think it will like remain run by students within the School of Architecture or if it has the potential to involve students from other professional schools. I can, I can speak a little bit about that. So on one hand, we defined early on with Deborah Burke, the Dean, and with our advisors that this would be an event that would be hosted by uh, other schools in the future. So we are working on that front to ensure that the event continues to exist. And other side of our work is to promote collaboration between the speakers. And so although the symposium took place during September, we are still in touch with the speakers and we are still evolving the work that we are doing with them. I kind of want to like revisit 
a comment that I think, Grace, you had made earlier, if that's okay, um, which is that you were talking about how, um, like, you made the observation that while the symposium was originally planned for spring of 2020, it got postponed to the fall, and it really felt like like it had been planned because of the context of the world and the state of the world. And I think I'm, like, a little bit, like, I'm guessing that this is a place to speak, like, pretty candidly, so I will go ahead and do that. I think one of the things that really came out of that shift in context was that when we were organizing the original structure of the symposium and thinking about the speakers, thinking about some of the issues that we wanted to bring up, race being one of them, we had a certain kind of, like, strategy to to go about bringing up these topics at a school like YSOA, and that radically shifted once the global pandemic and then the movement for racial justice and Black Lives Matter came to full force. And it really felt, at least to me, I won't speak for everybody on the team, like we had, like we were able to just like be able to freely talk about the issues that we wanted to with, without any sort of like moral muting or censorship. And I think that that, and I, I don't know if I have a conclu- conclusive opinion about it, but it's just something that I wanted to bring up because I think it's really telling that um, while we were organizing this symposium for over a year and it seems like it's so relevant to the times now that um, like the work itself, while the work itself remains largely unchanged, like we did the symposium pretty much the way we had originally organized it to be, um, the context of it really has. And I think, you know, again, I don't really have anything concluding to say about it other than Um, This was like this observation that I made within at least the way I felt like we were able to run it before and afterwards. Um, And so I'm thrilled that it's been able to be received in a way um, with curiosity and um, that people really, it really feels like among the team and among the people who attended, there is a, a respectful listening going on. And I think that that's really awesome. And I also sometimes really wonder how it would have been received or how we would have felt if if we weren't in this s- specific social context that we currently find ourselves in. Yeah, it's kind of like how Kate said earlier, how we were all on the same page like when it started. And I think that's been something that's come out of the pandemic a lot is people talking about like how we're all at home experiencing similar things and kind of seeing the world like activate around us and we're all empathizing more than ever at least that's that's kind of my perception of what's happening in the world I think that what finds me really inspiring about our speakers was that they didn't give any solutions as such but I think they really showed how architects and other professionals do actually have so much agency to be involved in some of these issues and I think that that the kind of the social setting that we suddenly found ourselves in, it highlighted the urgency that every professional has to engage in these issues now. And Brian, I think, said it really brilliantly. You often hear architects, you know, or, or people talk about architecture, like the problem is too small or the problem is too large. So we can't, you know, we can't be involved in, in those conversations. But There are many very small and specific ways that we can be involved. And I think that many of our speakers gave really clear guidance or kind of frameworks 
to allow us to understand our agency in, in these areas. And also understand the importance of like really actively listening and not for the sake of funneling this knowledge into some kind of like already determined outcome that we have in our head, but like truly listening with no agenda other than to understand. Yeah, I totally agree. I was like about to bring this up. It's like these are sort of like um, the catalyst of bridging different voices from different disciplines. But I'm also wondering, like, in terms of like to be more grounded in the architecture school, how do you think that these speakers' approach can be sort of uh, incorporated in the studios in the actual design of self and how the architects begin to get out of the comfort zone? What, what do you think that the reflections of the, um, the architecture school community could have about this symposium? I think one topic that we heard quite a bit during the symposium is the need to break down silos of expertise. And that also reminds me one of Molly's points that, and I'm quoting, we don't create health individually. There are social determinations of health and we do create health together. And that to me brings us back to what we already talked about, interdisciplinary thinking. And in my personal opinion, challenging the models, the teaching models that currently are in place. I think this symposium is just a starting point for, you know, future models of collaboration. That's how I interpret it. Y'all probably know better than we grads know, but it, it does seem at least like some of the advanced studio options that are being offered are having a much more collaborative. I think it would be pretty radical if we just like did an experimental studio one semester where it wasn't about a design outcome, but really questioning the methods of how to make architecture and all of the different factors that go into that, including talking to people and, you know, like Samson Barris method of just like, you know, listen and give them what they want, <laughs> give people what they said that they want. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be super curious to see where those could go. One of the feedbacks I've, I've been asked a lot after the symposium, how did it happen? How come students organize a symposium? Because traditionally that doesn't happen at YSOA. And I hope that serves as an example that, you know, if students feel the need to have a different format of studio or different kinds of conversations, it should also, it can come from the student body. I just want to really echo Mariana's point, which is that you're both first years and and I think that that's so exciting and I'm so jealous. <laughs> but really, like, there's so much creativity and understanding how to be an activist in school and there's obviously going to be pushback, but like, truly, like, just the energy and the momentum of students is what gets this type of work happening. It's not going to come, like, no one's going to tell you from the faculty side or the staff, like, any of the teachers are, they're not going to give you any kind of, like, answer to how you should do this. It, it really is coming from the students. Just as students, you hold so much power 